Friends, would you open up to uh, Judges chapter 16, or sorry, 13, Judges chapter 13. And I am going to this morning, uh, uh, again, last, last week I did a show of hands. How many of you have actually read the entire encouraged section from 13 all the way through 16? Just raise your hands, just raise your hands, those of you. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. The rest of you, bless you too. But you would get more of a blessing if you actually read all of it. So I really want to encourage you. Friends, get in the word. Read ahead. Digest it. Let marinate in it. Because there is a lot here from the story of Samson. Uh, this story of Samson makes me ask, uh, what does it take for a person to be used by God in an extraordinary kind of way? Uh, you know, if God wants to move and do something that is really unique, what kind of person does God choose? So I've been thinking about these questions, especially as I've been looking at this man by the name of Samson, and I spent some time thinking about people that God has used in my life. So I think back some 20 years, back to 2000, when I heard for the first time in person a man preach at a conference called One Day. And I, I remember exactly where I was seated in this hill uh, in, in Tennessee, listening to it with uh, probably about 10,000 other young adults, listening to this and just being riveted by John Piper's message. I remember where I was seated. I remember what he had to say. I remember his illustration about collecting uh, seashells on the, on, the, on the shore. You know, is that how we want to spend our retirement? And my heart was riveted by that. I remember just being captivated as I heard him speak. Now, not everyone can preach in that way that different people even remember that same sermon. But I have other friends who were at that conference who I know now that I didn't know then. And we t we, when we gather together, we go, do you remember that day? And we all remember that, that message. It was a powerful, convicting message. I've, I also think about when I pick up my phone and listen, look at the different podcasts that I listen to. The different pastors on there and their sermons that are consistently just really, really good. And they have a way of expressing themselves, which just makes me go, wow, I, that, that is an amazing gift of preaching. Why don't I have that? A little self-deprecating humor right there, right? But you listen to these men and you go, wow, that is an extraordinary gift that they have. And in some cases, around these men and their preaching, whole church planting movements have started. They have a gifted way of not only preaching, but a gifted way of leading. And then I think of some of those who are, are of the dead, whose lives have, have uh, been over and over influencing us generation after generation. I think of Martin Luther, as we, we think about uh, All Saints Day, and we just celebrated Halloween, and on that day, you get Martin Luther nailing up the 95 theses on the castle door of Wittenberg, and, and at that day, he was a man who changed the course of church history and helped the church rediscover the beauty and the power of the gospel. 
And then you have men like John, John Bunyan, who was a, a tinkerer who fixed pots and pans and who wrote a novel that is one of the greatest pieces of English literature, Pilgrim's Progress. Or you, you think about Jonathan Edwards, who was a brilliant speaker and, and a spark in a revival that would be called the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards. Or C.S. Lewis. Some of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis, who called himself the most reluctant convert in England. And yet he wrote one of the clearest books exploring Christianity and volumes of other great books. And I could go on and on and on. And what, what of all these people have in common is that they have a, a unique and I guess you could say exceptional gifts, contributions that God has given to them so that they can contribute to the, to the church. And they have all been used by God in such a way that they have a huge influence. And I guess you could say that you have to say that God uses people who has exceptional gifts. As you start looking at that, man, God, God uses people who have exceptional gifts. And as a result, we are always looking for that unique person to follow. Who has a unique gift? And we live in a time in which the really exceptional individuals can become prominent. Or in our political world, really strange people rise and become prominent. And so if I asked you to name some people that God is really using across North America at this time, you would probably come up with maybe five or six people people who might have a television show, maybe have written really good books, or you know who have maybe done some kind of church uh, planting movements, or their churches are really large. And it's not that God won't use us, right? We just don't expect much because we're not exceptional like them. Isn't that kind of how we feel sometimes? And these people, these people are extraordinary, which by definition means they're not like the rest of us. So I, in this sermon this morning, I don't want to put down exceptional people. Uh, I'm grateful for them. Man, I, I, I wouldn't be where I am in my spiritual walk with Christ without the contribution of these people. I, I know that a lot of them didn't ask for their, the prominence that God gave them or the influence that they have. But God has given them exceptional gifts. And with that comes a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure. When God gives any kind of gifts, there is a lot of responsibility. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with it. So I pray for them. And I pray that God would continue to use them and that they would remain faithful. But this morning, I want to look at the story that calls into question whether or not we're looking at the right things when we look at people that we think God is going to use. We're, we're going to look at the life of an extraordinary man, and we're going to realize that in the end, extraordinary gifts aren't always what God uses. Today, we're going to look at one of the most famous uh, judges, and in the book of uh, 
in this book of Judges. And if you would compile uh, a list of the most gifted people in the Bible and throughout history, he would probably appear on that list. And his name is Samson. So let's stand. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to cherry pick different sec pieces all the way from chapter 13 through chapter 16. And we will end the same way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word. And before we read, let's pray a prayer of God for God's blessing. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Father, we thank you for the reminder of your great mercy and your great faithfulness. Thank you that it is because of your mercy that you come and you reveal yourself to us, even this morning, Lord. Otherwise, otherwise we would know nothing, nothing of you. And we thank you that when we open up your word, our Bibles, Holy Spirit, you come and you take the word of truth as we find it here in Scripture, and you bring it home to our lives. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you will do that right now as we hear the voice of God. For we seek you this morning, O oh Lord, and we seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us in this way, starting at chapter 13. And the people of Israel again. Are you picking up a theme? And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like that of the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name but he said to me behold you shall conceive and bear a son 
So then drink no wine, no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So you have this story right now that is very similar to another story in the New Testament, right? Are you picking up themes? An angel of the Lord comes and speaks to a woman and says, you shall have a child. Hmm. Interesting how God works, right? And so let me, let's jump to chapter 14. Now, Samson is born at this point, right? He, Samson is here, and Samson is a, a young man, and he is desiring to have a wife. So Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the, oh, the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of her people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. And then if you jump down, there was a marriage that took place, right? And all kinds of uh, shenanigans took place in there. And you get the, the story of Samson killing a lion and ripping it limb from limb as you would with a young goat, which I'll get into later. How do you kill a young goat? Pure brute strength. And you get the, the story in verse 18, the, or the riddle. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? Hmm. And that, that, that comes from Samson saying, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And they had to figure it out. And he was betrayed by his wife in sharing a story. And ultimately, the, you look at verse 19. Uh, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and, and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who told the riddle in Hot anger. He went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Oh, what a story. And then the anger later on is seen in verse 15 when he hears about the betrayal. Taking a jawbone of a donkey and, and killing a thousand men. And then verse 16, oh, the ever famous chapter 16, the story of Samson and Delilah. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw what? A prostitute. He saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. Code word in Hebrew is consummation. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the city gate. And they kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay, lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. 
And later on, you get the story, uh, multiple opportunities to try to bind the strength of Samson. Ultimately, it came to a point of him sharing the secret of him being a Nazarite. And the only way to release his strength is by shaving his head. And then lastly, the death of Samson. 16, verse 23, And the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who, who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed, bowed with all of his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father, he had judged Israel 20 years. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's a story. And I would encourage you, if you have not read it, to dive into it this week again. In all of history, there are few people who show the promise that Samson did. It, the, the story of his birth takes an entire chapter to explain. And you can make a short list of people whose birth was miraculous and announced by angels and miracles. You've got Isaac. You've got Samuel. You've got John the Baptist. You've got Jesus. And you have Samson. A handful, literally, a handful. Before he is even born, God's hands are on this kid. It said in verse 5 of chapter 13, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So this is completely unparalleled. It, I think this is the only case uh, in the Bible that we see of a lifetime Nazarite. Nazarites were men or women who voluntarily 
dedicated themselves for a period of time to God's service. They said, for this period of time, I am fully dedicating my life for a certain task. For this time that you are Nazarite, you could take no alcohol during that time, no strong drink during that time. You could not touch anything dead, no corpse. You could not even get a haircut. It sounds a lot like COVID. So when that temporary time ended, you could go back to normal. So we read, a, we read a couple verses later that Samson is to be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So from the moment that he was conceived to the day that he died, he was to be set aside for work. So Samson is unique. He's a Nazarite, but not for a limited time and not even, not even voluntarily. He, he had no choice in this matter. He was chosen by God to be a lifelong Nazarite, somebody whose entire life was to be dedicated to God in a sacrificial service. And at the end of that chapter, chapter 13, we read, the young man grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. The spirit of God was doing something in this young man. He, he was most likely to succeed what they would call some kind of wonder kid, some wonderful kid, some um, a young man with amazing gifts, a person who achieves great success when relatively young. Once in a while, somebody comes onto the scene and it's clear that God's hand is on that person. It's almost like Midas's touch, right? Anything that he touches becomes gold. Before Laura and I had kids, I used to kind of debate nature versus nurture. Anybody else kind of do that? And I wondered how much, of the, how, how much of the way that our kids would turn out because of the way that we raised them, our nurture. And then we had kids. The debate was over. Children don't arrive on the world as a blank slate, right? We've all, we all know that. They, they arrive with certain bents and quirks and things that are unique to them. And of course, nurture does play a role as well. So here is somebody who shows up who is both divine design by God and the way that he is raised, all meant to make a difference. And we see that Samson does display and demonstrate this extraordinary kind of ability. You can see in Judges 14, when he was attacked by a lion, when he was attacked by a lion, this lion is coming in full, you know, claws out, roaring kind of thing. What does he do? With his bare hands, he had no other tools. With his bare hands, he, as one tears a young goat, kills the lion. How does one kill a young goat? That takes amazing strength, probably in the first place. But he does this with a huge beast that makes it sound like it's easy to tear apart a young goat with your hands. And personally, I'm impressed if you're tough enough to tear apart a young goat. But here he is tearing apart a, a, an attacking lion, coming at him full speed. 
And this is beyond impressive. And then when he loses a bet later on, you can see when he loses the bet and he has to pay the wager for losing the bet, and the bet was 30 pieces of clothing, so that shows you that these guys were really into clothes. They were fashion divas back then. Listen, if we're going to win, what I want is 30 pieces of clothes. He doesn't go out and buy the clothes. What does he do? He goes to a major Philistine city, kills 30 men, takes their garments, and pays the winners with those articles of clothing. No wonder how he, I, I, I just wonder how he even got into that major city, killed 30 men, and then walked out with 30 garments of clothing. That's an ex, another extraordinary event. Great strength. And then on top of that, when he gets angry with some Philistines, he catches 300 foxes or jackals, catches them. That's a feat right there. 300 of them catches them, ties their tails together, puts in a torch, and lets, lights the torch and sends them off into the fields. And what happens there? Burns down all the Philistine crops. Burns them all. Think what that would take to catch 300 foxes or jackals. Control them. Light a torch. Crazy. And then, when he is bound, the story of, uh, of him lying and deceit, being deceitful, he's able to break the ropes like they're nothing. He, 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 then he is able to use a fresh jawbone as a weapon. And fresh bones are not yet dried out, and they are hard yet, and therefore it's not very useful as a weapon, but it's a weapon nonetheless. But it was enough for Samson to kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. If you're not amazed yet at this, the, the strength and the extraordinary nature of Samson, something's wrong with you, or you think you're just as extraordinary. <laughs> or when Samson, uh, when Philistine men lay, lay in wait for him, he not only gets past them, but he unlocks the huge city gate, lifts it up, bars and all, throws it on his back, walks to the nearest hill, plops it up on top of this hill, and walks away. Listen. A lot of these stories about Samson are gruesome, and it's supposed to be. Samson was born to begin to deliver the people of Israel from the, these Philistine enemies. That was what he was born for. And he shows his strength, that his strengths are more than equal to that task of delivering Israel from these, these Philistines. This man, it seems like he is like a superman. He's got some kind of strength inside him where he can do almost anything. And Samson had began, began announced by the angels before he was born, and he has the superhuman strength, and he fights with the enemy without seeming like there's, he even has to try, and he's one of the most gifted and capable people in all biblical history. No deliverer in the, deliverer in the book of Judges matches his potential. He's a child prodigy, prodigy, 
prodigy who shows talent at an early age. And the author, the author who might be that bestseller out there, the preacher who can't help but pack out a church every time he preaches. It's kind of like Samson. He is, but Samson is actually a picture of Israel. Chosen by God. Brought into being by his power. Commissioned at an early age. And dedicated to God. Yet in looking at Samson, we come to realize that his life is a downward spiral into tragedy. It's easy to get caught up in these Sunday school or uh, VBS kind of stories of dare to be like a Samson, when in reality you go, don't be like Samson. The story of a, of a great leader who seems to squander everything that he's been given and never lives up to his ultimate potential of being faithful to God. Despite all of his gifts, ultimately he wastes his life. And in the, in the end, the best thing that he ever does, the thing that has the greatest impact, is his death. He accomplishes more by dying than he ever did by living. So let's look at his, if you will, his wasted life. And I use those words very carefully, cautiously. Do you realize that in Samson's entire life, despite all of his strengths, he never once leads an army into battle against the Philistines? His whole life is a series of personal crusades based on his whims and his desires. It's all about Samson. It's all about him. Not to mention all the times that he violated his Nazarite vows. He wasn't supposed to drink wine, yet he's attacked by a lion uh, and spent weeks drinking with his Philistine buddies. Weeks spent drinking with him. He wasn't even supposed to touch a dead corpse. And what does he do? He tears animals apart, and then he comes back to that dead animal and eats out of the, the corpse of that animal. And he uses a donkey jawbone, a dead donkey jawbone as a weapon. He was supposed to deliver Israel from the Philistines, right? Instead, what does he do? He takes for himself a... Philistine wife and frequents a Philistine prostitute. He violates his Nazarite covenant at every turn. He is foolishly arrogant, rash, insolent, impetus, and gets himself into all kinds of compromising situations all the time. Part of me goes, that's a stereotypical man on steroids. He is drawn to idols. The idols in his life are foreign women. Oh, if I could just have that foreign woman. Never in the entire narrative does he act in anyone's interest but his own interests. And eventually, he falls in love with this Philistine woman by the name of Delilah. I can hear her voice in Delilah at night, right? 
You've heard that on what radio station it is? I don't know, but it's creepy. And she kind of talks like this all the time. And she, and he gets entangled with her, and he ultimately loses her his strength. Why? His strength ultimately wasn't in his hair. We all want to believe it was this magical thing just cut off the hair. But if you look carefully, the reason that he lost his strength is much more serious than a haircut. Judges 16 verse 20 says, he did not know that the Lord had left him. One commentator by the name of Daniel Block writes this, to be abandoned by God is the worst fate anyone can ever experience. Now the divinely chosen agent of Yahweh has lost him. Samson's game is over. For a chapter he has been playing with his God-given talent, and now he discovers that he has frittered it all away. And God raises up his, this man and gives him extraordinary gifts, extraordinary gifts, but in the end, God ultimately walks away from him. Gifts aren't enough for God to use. Gifts aren't enough. And at the end of Samson's life, with his eyes gouged out, Samson prays to God, which is good, but as he prays, he, you listen to the prayer, it is a very self-centered prayer. Oh God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only for this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Israelites for my two eyes. Do you hear the tone and the tenor? No mention of the national emergency or the divine agenda that he was put on this earth to fulfill. I just want to avenge my eyes being plucked out. No thought of God's long-range plan he is completely, even in his last moments, completely self-absorbed. But God did answer his prayer, didn't he? Sometimes God works that way. God does answer our prayers. The, the, the Nazarite, who is set apart for God's service, pulls down the pillars of this, this temple of this house of worship where Dagon was, he pulls it down and he dies with his enemies. The narrator comments, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he killed during his entire life. That's not a compliment. That is absolutely tragic. Daniel Block goes on to say that this man with his unprecedented high calling and with his extraordinary divine gifts has wasted his life. Indeed, he accomplishes more for God dead than alive. Israel is better off with the death of Samson than they were ever with his life. It was a wasted life. It was a tragedy. It's only at the end that you see a glimpse of his promise. The ESV Literary uh, Study Bible writes this. Samson is the archetypal strong man who could defeat his enemies in battle, but could not control his sensual appetite. Hmm. 
Most tragic heroes are afflicted by a single dominant flaw of character. But Samson exhibits multiple flaws. We can bring them into focus by completing the formula. Quote, the danger of dot, dot, dot. The dangers of self-reliance, physical strength, success, appetite, self-indulgent, overconfidence, susceptibility to women of questionable character, religious complacency, recklessness, misplaced trust, squandered gifts from God, and broken vows. So what do we do with this? For me, growing up, I've always looked at Samson as this man to emulate in some ways. The strength of Samson. And a real careful look at this is like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want my kids to be like Samson. So what do we do? So I asked you at the beginning, what it takes for a person to be used in an extraordinary kind of way. And we said that God uses people who have extraordinary gifts. And God did use Samson and his extraordinary gifts that he gave him. And I, I think of many of the people that I, that I listed earlier, the, the extraordinary preachers, the, the thinkers, the writers, and other people who had a huge influence. But as I think about it, their strengths are only a part of the picture. It's easy to look at the gifts that God has given them. And we as a people, we really value gifts. But you can have all the gifts in the world and still waste your life. So I actually think we need to kind of revise this now. Samson had extraordinary gifts. But he does not represent someone that God uses in an extraordinary way. He represents someone who wasted his talents and who is, in the end has wasted his life. My friends, the problem is, is that we often confuse spiritual gifts with spiritual maturity. Hear that? We often confuse the spiritual gifts with spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity, my friends, is far more important than exceptional, extraordinary spiritual gifts. We tend to confuse the two, and it's one of our most deadly mistakes. You cannot be a person of exceptional spiritual gifts, but through the power of the Spirit, you have the potential to be a person also to be of amazing spiritual maturity. And these are the people, not those who have exceptional gifts, that God delights in using. I've given you this gift. I've given you this talent. I've given you this passion. Will you also grow in your knowledge and in your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you increase in holiness and spiritual maturity? Will you open the word of God and devour it and eat it and marinate in it? Will you hold yourself accountable to other brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can grow in holiness? So that as these gifts are grown and matured within you, God can delight in you as you use his gifts. 
Spiritual gifts, extraordinary gifts are nice, but you can have all the gifts in the world and end up wasting your life. In the end, what God uses is, is not people with extraordinary gifts. It's people who are ultimately moving towards spiritual maturity. Becoming men, women, and children who are growing in spiritual maturity. It's people who come to understand the gospel, but they don't stop there. They understand the gospel, and then they apply the gospel, no matter how much or how little they are gifted. In the reflection quote today, uh, Tim Keller uh, kind of gets to this. Listen to this. He, he says this about pastors and church leaders, and it's true of all of us. He says this. Most churches make the mistake of selecting the leaders uh, as leaders, the confident, the competent, and the successful. What you need in a leader is someone who has been broken by the knowledge of his or her sin and even greater knowledge of Jesus' costly grace. The number one leaders in every church ought to be people who repent the most fully without excuses because you don't need any now. The most easily without bitterness, the most publicly and the most joyfully. They know their standing isn't based upon their performance, but it's based upon his grace. So you don't need strengths like Samson. Hear that. You need repentance. You need the knowledge of Jesus' costly grace. Spiritual maturity is far more important than the gifts that God gives you. Your spiritual maturity will help you navigate how to use the gifts that he has given you. Robert Murray McShane, a, a Scottish minister back in the 1800s. None of you know him, but he was only 29 when he died. A young man. The week before he died, he preached on Isaiah 60, verse 1. And this is what Isaiah 60, verse 1 says. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Arise, and shine, for the, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The, God's glory is upon you. So at his death, Robert Murray McShane's death, found underneath his pillow was a letter he had received from a man who had listened to his last sermon, that last sermon. The letter said that it ultimately brought him to Christ. But it wasn't what he said in the sermon. Just for the record, pastors spend a lot of time crafting their sermons and a lot of how we say what we want to say. But it wasn't what he said or wrote that led this man to Christ. It's what he saw in McShane. This is what the letter said. It was not anything you said but it was what you were as you preached. 
For as you preached, I thought that I had never seen the beauty of holiness as I saw it in you. The beauty of holiness as I saw it in you. You were talking about the glory of our God resting upon the Savior. And I saw the Savior's glory resting upon you. That brought me to Christ. Huh. Isn't that? You were talking about the glory of God resting upon Christ. I heard that, and I agreed with the yes and amen, but the thing that led me to Christ was I saw it resting upon you. It wasn't Robert Murray McShane's gifts that counted in the end. It was the glory of the Lord in the life of that man. God's work in maturing that man. Spiritual maturity is far more important, my friends, than spiritual gifts. So I need to note this. Samson also reminds us of the one who is able to bring about these gifts in our lives. Samson is the contrast for Jesus. There's a lot of similar similarities in the story, right? But in reality, it's kind of the opposite. They, they are polar opposites in attitude and action. Samson's concerns were about Samson. Christ, on the other hand, what did Christ do? He emptied himself of self-interest, of self-determination, self-glory. Christ emptied himself. You get that in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 says, but he emptied himself. How? By taking on the form of a servant. By being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. How did he humble himself? By being obedient to the point of death. Even a death, the death on a cross. The most humiliating thing. So in his death, Samson cared more about personal revenge, not God's plan to deliver the Israelites. In Christ's death, Jesus laid aside all of his self-interest for the Father's plan to be fulfilled. It doesn't matter, my friends, how gifted you are. The one who turns to that Jesus, who has the same attitude, the same mind of Christ Jesus did, and through the power of the gospel becomes transformed, becomes whole, becomes a new creation, that is the person that God delights to use. A man, a woman who is transformed in their heart, their mind, their lives, desires to be used by God and puts aside all of your selfish desires so that you can fully say, Lord, use me. That is our desire even as a community of faith. God may have given you extraordinary gifts, talents. Honestly, they're worthless apart from your spiritual maturity. God may use them, 
But God delights to use you as you are growing, becoming more and more like his son. So friends, may that be true of you. And when I implore you to get into his word, I'm doing it not to just make you more biblically literate, and I'm not doing it just to give you a spiritual guilt trip. My greatest desire is that you grow, that you would desire to learn more about the God who saved you, that you would grow in holiness and spiritual maturity. My friends, get into the Word. Find those relationships, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are going to call you out on your junk, where you can share honestly and openly and say, you know what? I am a total spiritual bonehead. I am so selfish. I care about my interests more than the interests of my, my family, my wife, my friends. It's all about me. Would you hold up the mirror of God's holiness and help me see me for who I am? Would you walk alongside me? Because I want to be used for God's glory. That is the church that Christ desires. And that is what I pray for you and I pray for me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it is easy to be so impressed with men and women of ex exceptional gifts. But the reality, God, God, is in your kingdom, it isn't the gifted or the strong that you choose to use. You have even chosen the foolish things 